the show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Patients, docs, nurses, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we've tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Digital health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status, no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all come on, let's go. Welcome to the healthcare rap, where we are ushering in the future of healthcare and the status quo no longer exists where we are challenging assumptions about marketing and technology, and we check yesterday's thinking at the door. Where truth drops like an atom bomb, and knowledge flows like Niagara Falls. Each week we challenge assumptions that have been holding back healthcare marketing, and explain how we can do better. Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jared Johnson, and thanks for listening. Here on the Healthcare Wrap, we believe that the healthcare experience has to change, and we're trying to do something about it. If you want to help healthcare be more about consumers and innovation, this is the place for you. We are going to help you find your place in the digital transformation movement, and you are going to be one of the ones leading meaningful change. We can either stand back and let it take another 50 years, or we can jump in right now. And I think you know how we roll here. We're not going to coast to neutral. We're hitting the gas. Each week, we speak with leaders who are part of the digital transformation movement. We share tips on shifting the way that healthcare is experienced digitally and the backstage strategies for marketing, operations, and digital teams to stay ahead of the curve. This is episode number 146. We're now in season five, which is our quest to answer the question of whether it's even possible to provide the healthcare experience that consumers desire. There's a lot of work to do, so it's time to get fired up. Before we launch this rocket ship into orbit, I want to give a quick shout out to the crew at Jennings Healthcare Marketing and their video series on the Shift.Health content network called Marketing for Better Health. It's a greatest hits collection of videos by Dan Dunlop that provides tips for post-pandemic planning, addressing consumer fears, using effective content marketing to improve community health, and so much more. The first two seasons are available on demand at Shift.Health, so be sure to go check it out. The series is called Marketing for Better Health. So here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about closing marketing's credibility gap. Marketing loves to blame everyone else when their ROI is questioned, but what if it's time to look in the mirror and do what we can do to close the credibility gap ourselves? I'll talk about that. Then Zane and I are going to dive into how to design the healthcare experience in a world where it's not so clear how long COVID-19 is going to remain in the picture. Then we'll wrap up with the 411 from John Marzano on the value of healthcare marketing Moneyball. It's time to dive right in. You ready? Let's go. flavor of the week. Marketing has a credibility gap and it's time to stop blaming it on other people. This past week, eHealthcare Strategy and Trends held a member webinar about where digital teams should focus in 2021. It featured two awesome panelists, Chris Pace, the Chief Digital Marketing Officer at Banner Health, and Jill McCormick, the Director of Design and Innovation with Bay State Health. They talked about designing connected experiences rather than just managing platforms. And as part of the discussion, they talked about the topic that gets brought up in pretty much every marketing discussion. How do you get buy-in? Chris made a tongue-in-cheek comment that finance never believes any numbers that marketing ever puts in front of them. And I think we all felt that pain. You can demonstrate that a campaign delivers a 10 to 1 ROI, and finance will ask you how you know those patients weren't going to come in anyway. It's always something, isn't it? 
And yes, Chris was quick to point out that there are ways to run control group experiments and test against this segment that does not see your ad, but his point is well taken. There's always another question from another skeptical executive. Marketing's always had this challenge, and digital ads have helped a little, but not enough to close the credibility gap entirely. I mean, even the patron saints of digital, namely Google and Facebook ads, more often than not just lead to more questions. So marketers, pay attention. Here's my challenge to you. It's time we look in the mirror and do our part to close the gap. We have backed ourselves into a corner by telling ourselves it's everyone else's fault that they can't see the value of what we're doing. But as my teenage kids would say, really, is it? So here are three ways we can close the gap. Number one, simplify our data. Which is more impressive, bringing 40 data tables and graphs and cross tabs to a meeting or having a single slide with the top three to five data points that tell the story? We don't need more data. We need to explain the important data better. Number two, anticipate questions. You know you're going to get asked how we know marketing is working. We know we're going to get asked whether our media spend is better than doing nothing. So be ready to answer those questions confidently, not defensively. And don't be surprised. Number three, make sure we know the value of what we're doing. Not every activity has a direct ROI, but everything should roll up to something. Net promoter score, customer lifetime value, even HCAP scores are better than nothing. People, I'm here in this fight right with you. Let's make this a focus and see how our conversations change. Closing the credibility gap starts with us. And that's the flavor of the Week. Hey, I'm back here with Zane again. Zane, uh, how's it going? Good. How are you, Jared? Fantastic. And uh, I always like to start, I think we had a good tradition kind of going the last time, which was starting with talking about what's the latest awesome thing that we've heard about. So, I mean, we throw it out there. I think we both agreed this time that one of the most awesome things we've seen in the last few weeks has been these videos and images of the first vaccines rolling out. Finally, we can be over with this pandemic, hopefully. Yeah, I think one of the one of the best things is just shining a light on the, a possible light at the end of a very, very long tunnel. We know there's still a lot of room left in that tunnel. We're mm-hmm. not even close to the end of it, but there's we're hearing things of it being a turning point. And if people have just been looking for something to cling to in the middle of all this, I think that's been it. I love the visuals of a, a cart rolling through a hallway with a vaccine scenes getting put in in frozen storage i mean it's it's actually it has been inspiring so it's been great to see i was watching the news and maybe it's me being cynical but i think some of the headlines were terribly over dramatic and i've just never seen i never thought i'd see the day where you know getting a needle stick was so you know publicized and dramatic on tv and it's almost like watching a, a real life action film seeing the ups trucks leaving the pfizer plant in michigan and being rolled out and fridges opening and it's really interesting, but we're, it's exciting. <laughs> that's true. That's true. One of them was a, uh, that I saw from our, our local, one of our local providers was a drone shot of like a, a cargo truck going underground in the underground parking lot. I'm like, okay, that does nothing for me. Yeah. Or then noticing too, like, you know, I think, UPS was delivering these and there was a picture of a UPS jumbo jet and clearly it's fake because, well, not, not that the jet's fake, but clearly it's a highly manicured event because, you know, everyone's perfectly wearing like UPS jackets, you know, and every, 
everyone looks perfect, smiling perfectly. And it's like, there's no way if this was just a normal, you know, box being put into the plane, you know, under normal, normal circumstances that, you know, everyone would look so perfectly manicured and the lighting was perfect. And this is funny, but whatever. Yeah. 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 Like the lighting's perfect in a storage facility or a warehouse and, you know, like a hangar and like, yeah. the, there's no lighting in those places. Over yeah. Yeah. How funny. My goodness. Well, so Zane, we're going on this quest this entire season about, answering the question of whether it's even possible to provide the healthcare consumer experience that is being demanded of our healthcare institutions. And last time we talked about kind of, is it even possible to deliver care at a macro level, a way that's good for both the patient and the business. And today I think we want to talk about COVID considerations in 2021. So we want to look at what types of experiences should we be thinking about? I love just always addressing things first and foremost from a service design perspective, because I think that's going to open up our eyes to where we need to focus. And I do think that's a, that's always a challenge for, for everyone in our industry of where, where do we focus? It is not hard to find something to talk about or look at or spend time on, but where do we focus? And so Let's start with with just in, in general, thinking about what's going to be the state for the next few months. And I think it's safe to say still no one knows. It's not like there's now a new normal. I do like uh, Chris Bevelo at Revive Health, their team, uh, their, their podcast is the No Normal Show. I think that's the closest to anything we can at least say for sure there is no normal. So it's nice to think of it that way. And like I think we we're just admitting there. Vaccines haven't changed things. Unfortunately, the status quo right now is that nobody knows anything. Nobody knows what to plan for. And we're kind of planning for all sorts of different potential ways things could go. But now we have reached this turning point. So what needs to change as we go into this new year, as, as we're starting to think there is an end to this situation at some point how do we need to change the healthcare experience? Sure. So I think, you know, obviously one thing that comes to mind, and it certainly won't be um, you know, a novel idea for a lot of our listeners, but you know, this whole conversation around telemedicine, I would hope that, you know, by getting policy involved in others, that we can continue to ride this wave of telemedicine because I think it's effective and it's efficient and it's convenient. And for that to stay, we're going to make sure we, we need to make sure that sort of the payment framework stays so that health systems are being compensated, you know, at the same level or, or nearly at the same level for what they would get for any person visit. So currently, at least in the state of Michigan where I'm at, that framework is still in place because we're still in a you know public health emergency, but that needs to stay. And I hope that stays. And, you know, this obviously this pandemic has really forced a lot of physicians, especially in clinical folks, to try and adopt telemedicine because it was really it wasn't that patients didn't want to do it is, you know, would the clinical teams want to offer it? And I think we've pulled or we've made clinicians realize that this is actually kind of fun and it's doable. It's not as complicated and potentially you could you know, serve a lot more patients and have many more meaningful interactions with them. So I really hope that all of that stays um, in terms of things I think we need to be planning for. And, you know, maybe I'm probably a little bit biased and, you know, with the folks that I talk to and friends, but I've been seeing a lot of people like really thinking about wellness and almost like um, call it like functional medicine. And so, and really focusing on optimizing their health. I think this pandemic made individuals realize how vulnerable they are. You know, even if you go to the gym and do yoga and look good, you know, for the Instagram, it doesn't necessarily mean you're healthy. And so I'm seeing a lot of people 
anecdotally, I don't have any evidence to, or any data to support it, but I bet it's out there. But I'm seeing a lot of people really thinking about how do I keep myself and my body healthy, not necessarily fit, big muscles or skinny, but how do I stay healthy? You know, how does my gut stay healthy? And I think health systems need to start investing in those things, which aren't traditional things that we've invested in or offered services around. So things like functional medicine, lifestyle medicine, wellness medicine, and, and even things that are less less, you know, pharmaceutical focused and, you know, looking at nutrition and more holistic types of medicine, which I know, I'm sure if there's some physicians listening, there's red, red flags going off because I know that's not always an accepted way to practice medicine or it's kind of seen as like a pseudoscience. And, but I think, I think there's a lot to be said there and a lot of opportunity. Interesting. Interesting. My mind goes a little tactical when you say that about how can a health system kind of take the lead in helping consumers address that that stronger desire now to keep themselves healthy and i mean immediately go to things like like digital channels social media i mean so digital teams over you know in 2020 spent a lot of time building and maintaining like you know covid microsites videos and information and content about yeah the virus itself and a lot of it went up all at the same time just from what they knew at the time and then you know those who were successfully managing that content they were updating it they were providing new updates hopefully from the standpoint of of trying to build some trust in their clinicians and hopefully they had somebody who could really kind of be the face that was explaining that, that was sharing, hey, here's why you can trust us. And so we can always, you know, link this in my mind to if we have done that successfully and built up some trust over the last year, we're, we're throwing healthcare heroes campaigns out there and telling people, at least showing that we care about our clinical teams and our frontline workers. There's hopefully been some goodwill that has been generated out of that in our communities. Hopefully, you know, more than, I mean, healthcare institutions traditionally have been next to government, the least trusted institutions out there. So there's always been that gap, like that credibility gap. I think we've taken it up a little tier from there, you know, a little step. So we've made some progress there. There's some goodwill there. And I don't think everyone's going to take advantage of it as much as they could, but hopefully that's a place we could go is we could start thinking, look, the tactical thing, the advice to share isn't just, hey, uh, you know, the, the typical wash your hands six feet away, wear your mask. Like we all know that stuff by now. So what next? What else? What other information could we share? Yeah. And th- that's the stuff where we're going to be talking about. This all comes back to you staying healthy. Hopefully you're shining a light on your own health now. We want to help you. And that could just be conversations yes. on digital platforms. And I don't see why that couldn't be tied to your COVID content. Yep, I completely agree. And, you know, one of the, and again, I'm no, I'm no scientist or physician, so, you know, take my opinion with a grain of salt, but I think one of the big failures in public health messaging we've seen, you know, through this pandemic is it's always been very much focused on social distancing, wearing a mask and wait for the vaccine, which is all great. I believe in that science, do it. But we've been at this now for what, nine months, almost a year. I think there's a huge opportunity to also start messaging around, okay, how do we get your body healthy? What are the things you need to do? Limit your sugar, get out and walk. It's a great day to go and walk 20 minutes. And I'm curious what that impact might have had. If we can start getting Americans and a Canadian get Canadians healthy, how that could have improved some of the outcomes we've seen around COVID. And then again, as another example, there's a lot of research coming out now too that vitamin D plays a huge impact on, you know, how on your susceptibility to this virus and also the impact it has on your body. And, you know, vitamin D is cheap. Like, why aren't we communicating or finding ways to to suggest that the population at large 
start consuming it. And what's interesting is if you look around the world, there are some nations that are doing that, particularly India, who's distributing vitamin D to many, many folks, especially in areas where they don't have a whole lot of medical capacity to care for Indians if they do become sick. And then we're also seeing this in the UK, they're running a trial. And so again, just a whole giant misses, I think, in keeping people well, especially since we've been at this for so long. You know, if, if this was only going to be a two-week thing, sure, wear a mask, social distance, but we knew this was going to be a long time and there should have been a plan to not just take care of the acute need, but start focusing on longer-term strategies on getting people healthy. I love that thought. I think this is kind of like the next level, the next stage of our yeah. digital strategy. When One question is always, what do we talk about? Hey, we have all these platforms. Now we have better ways to personalize the things that we are sharing and and doing in an outbound manner to communicate and engage with patients. You know, again, words, I mean, I use the word engage or engagement like so many times a day, it has probably lost some meaning there with me, but that's really what we're doing. We're inviting a conversation. We're sharing information. We're, we're, we're asking for information and hopefully we're providing a, a pleasant experience here. So what obstacles are keeping us from doing that now? Like what's stopping us from, as a health institution, making it clear that we actually do want to keep you healthy? Yeah. So I think, you know, obviously, and we talked about in our last podcast, there's economic reasons there because most health systems are funded based on volume and throughput through their ORs. And so there's, you could argue at a macro level, there is no incentive for a traditional health system to keep people healthy unless they own a health plan where then there really is. And so, you know, without getting into those weeds and another answer I would give, I think is just the mindset shift where I think you know, the direction that health systems need to go is to really think of themselves as like a health coach, not necessarily a health care coach, but a health and wellness coach. And what's really cool is technology is going to allow us to do that. And so, so as you know, like health, healthcare traditionally is very good at providing care at the point of care. And so what I mean by that is when you come into the primary care office or we come into the OR, we can take care of you. No problem. We can figure that out. But with all these technologies now, like call them Fitbits and like the news band and all these innovations that are occurring, there's an opportunity to use those tools now to not just influence people at the point of care, but at the point of thought, at the point of consumption, at the point of activity. And that's where we have now the opportunity to really be that health coach because most of, you know, most people's health is influenced by how they think, what they think, what they consume, and then their levels of activities, right? And so, you know, imagine if the Muse Band, which helps to sort of measure your brain waves, and it's a really cool, cool tool. I saw it at CES a few years ago and can lead you through all this types of meditation and things like that. But imagine if there's a way for your healthcare provider to realize, hey, like you look kind of stressed today. How can we help you? Or imagine, you know, on your Fitbit, we can already do this actually with the Fitbit, but imagine if we notice you haven't been moving enough. If a health coach gave you a call and said, hey, Zane, like we noticed you're not doing, you know, as many exercises as you used to. Like what's going on? Is there something we can help you with? Or even just, hey, get up off the couch and go, Zane, right? And so it's those things that we need to be starting to invest in. And, and truly, like we always say at healthcare conferences, move care upstream. And so we need to set up all those tools and processes to do that and find a funding model that works. Yeah, I can tell you there are some that have that have made that work. Uh, Renown Health out in Reno, Nevada, they are huge on actually keeping Nevadans healthy. They have huge initiatives. Their goal is just to 
I mean, they're providing free genetic testing at one point. Like they have done all sorts of things. Their goal is to move from just healthcare to to health. And they make that part of their mission. There are examples out there. There's another one too. It's something that that I think it's a little counterintuitive almost when you're talking about, you know, you can make the case that there is no business that doesn't make business sense to try to keep keep your community healthy if you're making money by treating them when they're sick. It does feel a little counterintuitive to suggest otherwise. And the same thing kind of happened in a conversation in a non-healthcare world with home improvement when YouTube first came out. So when video mm-hmm. first was really a thing, and this was a discussion in the marketing industry where Home Depot actually started, they became really one of the first purveyors of doing DIY home videos, home improvement videos. Here's how you change out. Here's how you change out that plumbing. Here's how you do this one thing. They were doing DIY videos so you could do these things on your own. Now Mm -hmm. Home Depot also provides their specialist services. You know, they'll come out and fix the thing for you. You can rent their equipment. You can, they come out, they can install the thing for you. They can fix the thing for you. And so at one point their marketing team was asked, they said like, doesn't that seem counterintuitive because like you're telling people how to do things themselves. Doesn't that mean you're kind of cannibalizing your own service line because you offer those services and their head of marketing at the time, as I recall, this is several, this was many years ago, but I recall their head of marketing said, well, here's what we've learned is that actually we've created some loyalty there. Sure, sure. And the ones who actually need our materials the most are the DIYers, the ones who are trying to do it themselves. And so yeah. Where do they come? They think like, who, who just helped me do that thing? Well, yeah. the ones who just gave me these videos of how to, how to do the thing. So then what store are they going to go to to buy the materials to complete that project? So it was a loyalty play, but they had data to back it up. Sure. And I loved that thought. So while it may seem a little counterintuitive, I think there are, I think that's the discussion to have is what areas can we do that? What information can we share recognizing mm-hmm. that if we do have to put it in marketing terms of a brand play, brand loyalty or whatnot, which I'm not convinced is always the best lens to look through. But if we do look at it that way, where are the areas to start? So it's, it's encouraging to know that it's possible, I guess. Yeah, I can totally see that happening in healthcare, especially with like brand partnerships with fitness clubs or gyms or, you know, imagine working with Peloton or Mirror where imagine a branded person from, you know, XYZ health system could provide like nutritional advice, or, you know, maybe it's a sports medicine specialist that's providing advice and working through these platforms and with these other partners, I think can be very, very powerful. And then to your point, like, you know, when they think about actually needing a service or, you know, they want to come and do, you know, some type of diagnostic around their gut biome or their blood, they'll come to XYZ health system that was part of that brand partnership. Such like good that. stuff. Ooh, I like I like that a lot. We and may I have think, to spin that off as its whole own episode here because I'd love to dive into that more. It'd be cool to do like a like a futures thinking, like, you know, how might Lululemon deliver healthcare or how might well Mirror is already part of Lululemon or you know, what would Nike want to be doing in healthcare or REI or Patagonia and do some thinking around that. Right. You always have the retail health example of like Walgreens yeah. just announcing, you know, a few weeks ago that they're gonna open 40 more primary care mm-hmm. clinics in this year is crazy. Like it, it's just going to be, that's the direction for us to start thinking, I guess is where I'm going yeah. with it. And I, I love that. Maybe that's our call to action this time. I think just even exploring some of the things you just shared of like, how can this other, the partnerships thing, mm-hmm. even just exploring those partnerships, I say that that'd be my thought of like, sure. what, what's that tactical step that leaders can, 
can start <laughs> taking. And if any of our listeners start doing that, start to do that, call us. I want to be a part of it. <laughs> oh yeah, hundred percent. And and we'll blow it up. We'll 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 uh, get them on. We'll get you on the podcast. You know, we'll have people uh, hearing about it, and it'll it'll go crazy. Yeah, yeah. I think to answer your question, then, so what some steps people can take? I think. And this isn't my thinking. This comes from the Institute for Innovation Large Organizations. And one thing that they always talk about is start thinking about what are the things that we usually charge for that we give away for free? What are the things that we don't charge for that we can now charge for or we should think about charging for? And what are things that we either charge for or don't charge for that we can get someone else to charge or pay for? And so like a, a brand partner or something like that. And I think if, you, if organizations start doing some brainstorming around that, asking those three questions for healthcare services, you can start to come up with some really innovative and different models and completely different ways of looking at things. That's our goal. Get people looking at things in a different way and thinking about it from an experience standpoint. I, I love it. I love this thought. We're going to have to dive into this one even a little bit more next time. Uh, Zane, it's always a pleasure. Uh, thanks for giving us so much to think about. No problem. Thank you. What's the 411? Hi, I'm John Marzano, and this is the 411 for Healthcare Marketers. Marketing can actually lead healthcare networks in 2021, and the convergence may play out like this. One, a transitioning out of COVID thanks to vaccines. Two, a return to normal patient volume levels driven by those who delayed care, elective or otherwise. And three, a further payer mix deterioration due to layoffs, unemployment, and a loss of insurance coverage by many. Health networks already provide significant unreimbursed care to people and communities across the U.S. The challenge has always been how to counter those losses with commercially insured business that supports financial viability for the organization. As losses mount from the intense treatment of COVID, hospitals have struggled with the right message to get the paying business back through the door. Here's where digital marketing technology is poised to play its biggest role to date. MarTech, along with the right message targeted to the right insured population, has been validated to drive a higher percentage of paying business. Believe it. Oh, healthcare organizations scoff at the phrase, healthcare marketing money ball over the last 10 years, yet the proof is always in the results. Examples abound too. One such was a large healthcare network with an historically commercially insured payer mix of 40%. Using a sophisticated and digitally targeted marketing strategy, insured business increased to almost 60% while consistently holding steady over the long term. That's Moneyball and it pays a lot of bills. It's hyper-targeted. And since the majority, 80 to 85% is repeat business, brand loyalty remains strong and intact as an important and much needed community-based healthcare resource. Moneyball is doable, it works and can always be optimized to direct patient business back in the door. It starts with an evolved strategy, not the status quo, that includes MarTech, then a structure to follow that strategy. Build a team of experts that can run the MarTech. It also has internal partnership support from IT and finance. Most importantly, Moneyball requires patience for the long haul. Build momentum. After all, boasting of being a community resource for 100 plus years means nothing if it doesn't continue for another 100. By nature, marketing is disruptive. As healthcare moves into the new year, additional challenges will require new thinking and action. 
calling for courage and leadership to drive a winning formula. Marketing's time is now, and that's the 411. Hey, thanks again to Zane, and thank you for listening. We hope you found some value in this conversation, and if you did, please, this is so important, please subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about this podcast. Healthcare Wrap is a member of the Shift.Health content network. Go check it out at Shift.Health. We have 26 podcasts and video series about shifting the way the healthcare is experienced. Until next time, keep marketing forward. Thanks, and that's a wrap. Thanks.